This morning we'll be in John's Gospel in chapter 11. And one of the things that I love so much about the way John describes the story, not only of the disciples he finds himself with, but, but his own story is such that he states that in the midst of all of the things that the disciples are seeing, they don't have it figured out. They can't see it. They don't understand it. Peter proclaims that Jesus can't die, that that's not an option. As Jesus walks through the farewell discourse and tells the disciples what is going to happen, very clearly, very succinctly, plainly, he says to them what's going to take place. And John notes continually that they still don't understand. Look back into John 12 and you see the story of Palm Sunday, Jesus riding in on this donkey. And John explicitly states that they don't understand. Look to John 16. In the middle of the farewell discourse, he says they were hearing these things. And yet they wouldn't understand them till much later. It's Easter Sunday. And for us, it's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful Resurrection Sunday, but we would be remiss if we didn't look at this point of the story and see a morning where disciples and those who have loved Jesus, who have followed Jesus, who have given their life to trusting in Him, we'd be remiss if we don't see that on Sunday morning, before dark, for them they're in a moment of grief and of despair, and life still feels hopeless. We all have moments of grief, all of us, moments of loss, moments of pain from something, or more affecting, the loss of someone who is gone. I want you to think about a moment like that in your life. To take a moment and remember that time, remember the place where you were standing the sounds that you heard, the people who were with you. Remember, the disciples found themselves in a place like this. I imagine in your moment of grief, you went to someone, someone close to you who comforted you. They sat with you or they stood with you and they put their arms around you. They embraced you and they listened to you and they even cried with you. And I imagine they likely told you something akin to this, that everything's going to be okay. That everything will be in the future okay. And not merely, hopefully, because you wanted it to be that way, but because there's actually a promise that you can hold on to. The question in those moments is this. In that moment of grief, in that moment of pain, if there is a promise, and it can be trusted, do you believe it? you believe it? In John's gospel, we find a moment just like this. Jesus has come to be with Martha and Mary, among others, with the one that he loved, Lazarus, who has died. You see, Martha is seeking comfort, and Jesus provides comfort for her in her time of trouble. 
But there's something incredible that's happening here. Jesus is not just speaking to Martha. He's speaking to you and I as well. And you might say, oh, well, that's that's a nice notion. That Jesus would offer comfort to me, a kind of comfort like Martha. But I'm different than Martha, and I don't find myself in the place that Martha found herself, and it's a different kind of thing that I've walked through. It didn't look like that or didn't feel like that. Besides, Martha and I are separated by, I don't know, a couple thousand years. So maybe, just maybe, that comfort you described, Michael, is like Martha's, but it's not really the same moment. That moment she has with Jesus is for her, not, not for me. No, Jesus says very specifically that these words are for you. In his own words, Jesus is offering resurrection, hope, and life, and comfort to you. We've been in this series over the past few weeks walking through John's gospel called I Am, Jesus in His Own Words. And the disciples have heard Jesus speak of himself in metaphors, but tell them in so many ways who he is. That he truly is the light of the world. That he's the gate or the door, that he's the good shepherd, that he is the vine, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Today he will say that he is the resurrection and the life. And he won't just say it to Martha, he'll say it to you. He'll say it to you. He gives us this through scripture, through his own words, an invitation to believe the promise and that he is the very promise of life and he is its keeper. This invitation from Jesus is one singular question and it's four simple words. It's this. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? This is John's gospel beginning in chapter 11, verse 17. It says this. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. This is the word of the Lord, which we say together. Thanks be to God. At the death of Lazarus, Jesus comforts Martha with the promise of resurrection on the last day. And faithful Jews, those who followed Yahweh, those who followed God, like Martha, believed that one day there would arise one who would gather believers in Yahweh from all over the world together and God would be worshipped, that truly the bodies of the dead would be brought back to life. Jesus assures her of this and he says, your brother will rise again. 
And in her moment of extreme pain and confusion and sadness and loss, Jesus then moves from something in the future to the present. He takes something that is abstract and he makes it actual. Something that's way out there, he brings before her and holds it right here. What Jesus does in this moment, in his own words, is he says that he is the one who will do the very thing. He will fulfill the promise because he is the promise. He is the very resurrection that she speaks of. And that there is no resurrection, there is no life outside of him. What Jesus does in this moment is move Martha from what will be to right now. And he does it right before her eyes. This is not a general phrase of comfort. It's not a speculative look out into the distance. Jesus does not offer mere consolation to her. He offers something vastly different of much greater magnitude, he offers not mere consolation, but completion. Because the promise that she believes, he's the one who's going to execute it. He's the one who's going to enact it. He's the one who's going to accomplish it. The very one who sits with her in her moment of grief will be the one who with his grace overcomes every ounce of it. The one who sits with her who cries with her, who hears her, who is in this moment of pain with her, is the one who will be raised from the dead so that she can live. This is not a tip. This is not a trick. Jesus does not tell her to go and do a set of things, keep a list of rules. No, this is personal. Jesus gives her himself. She's confronted by Jesus personally. And you can almost imagine the scene. When you look back to this text that we just read together. And Jesus says, and I would imagine that it would be in a very resolute way, your brother will rise again. For Martha, I can't picture her, I can't see her with words here that are flat and that are static or that are stoic. I know. I know my brother will rise again at the resurrection on the last day. That's that's not conceivably how she said this. Think about moments you've been in grief, moments you've been in pain. I would imagine in this moment that Martha's head is bowed, it is sunken. Perhaps she's hearing the words of Jesus. Maybe she's even saying this in a perfunctory way. I have to say this. I'm supposed to say this. When she might be struggling to believe. Maybe it's hard for the words to even come out. Maybe she's quivering. She's shaking. The words sort of stammer out of her mouth. I, 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 I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. I 
And in this moment, Jesus looks upon her with compassion. And he speaks the truth to her. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he says, here's what this means. Whoever believes in me, even though they die, they will live. And everyone who believes in me will never die. No matter Martha's posture, I can imagine that Jesus in this moment, when he speaks these words to her, he's not talking at her. He's not speaking to one as, oh, I've got to teach again. They don't understand again. He's not disappointed. He's not frustrated. He's not talking near her. No, instead, he's looking her in the eye. Tells her who he is. And he says, do you believe this? This is not a philosophical question. This is a personal question. He's asking her, do you believe me? The living God. The God who is personal who took on flesh and dwelt among us, as John's gospel says, to save sinners like you and me. God is speaking to her personally. Because do you believe this doesn't reference something, it references someone, it's him. The resurrection is not something, the resurrection is someone. It is Jesus Christ, it is him. He is the very resurrection and life that we have. And look at her response. Look at what she says. She says, I believe you are the Christ. You are the Son of God. Now look at this. What's happening here? Her belief is not abstract. Her belief is personal. It's in the person of Jesus. I believe you are the Christ. Why? How can she say that? Because she sees that he is the one who is the very promise of God. And this passage reveals that this question is not merely for Martha. This question is for you. This question is for me. How do we know that? Are we writing ourselves into the story? No. Jesus has done that for us. Look at what he says. Whoever believes in me Though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. I'm a whoever and an everyone. And so are you. This question, we're meant to read it for us. Do you believe this? And here's what Jesus clearly states. That the resurrection, that life without end, that eternal life is fully connected. It is totally, completely bound up with belief in Jesus. Eternal life and belief in Jesus are inextricably tied together. There is no possible way to separate them. Now look, this might be a silly analogy, right? But there are things that go together in life, right? Like... There's little ones in this room, and here's, I think, one thing that we can all say that we have in common. I've eaten a lot of things in life, and you have too. A lot of them were sandwiches, right? There's a lot of sandwiches consumed per capita in this room today, okay? 
Here's the thing. I'm, I'm, I'm probably a traditionalist in this. I, I just don't think it gets better than peanut butter and jelly. Right? Like that's an incredible sandwich. And here's the thing. That it's really, really good together. There's some of you that do this thing, and this is nuts to me. But you put peanut butter and banana on bread. You put that on a sandwich. Well, today, my brother, on this Resurrection Sunday, I'm praying for you, okay? <laughs> but there are things that complement one another, things that go together. But these two things, eternal life and belief in Jesus, they don't just kind of go together. They're completely physically tied together. To put it in a, in a simple way, let's move from sandwiches to superheroes. There is no Batman apart from Bruce Wayne. They're together. You can't have one without the other. There is no, there is no Superman without Clark Kent. They're one in the same. In John's gospel, when he writes and pens these words, this account of Jesus with Martha, he's saying very clearly and very plainly that these two things go together because they are one. There is no eternal life without belief in Jesus, and anyone who believes in Jesus has eternal life. Whoever believes in him, in other words, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Because that life is belief in him. Abundant, full life. Jesus shares this truth and hope not only with Martha, but with us, that whoever believes in him... Though he may die a mortal death, will never really die, but will live. But this belief is not blind. It's not just a tradition. It's not something that we just do. You, and you may think, well, Easter is, well, we go to church on Easter, and that's, that's something our family's done, or that's a tradition, or this is, this is what we do. Or maybe it's not for me, but, but man, I want everybody to find their truth and I want everybody to cling to the thing that really gets them through that moment of grief, that moment of pain, that moment of sadness that we talked about and referenced earlier. This belief in Jesus Christ is not blind. Because Jesus' invitation to Martha and to you and I is an invitation to trust in the truth of who he is. Jesus says that he is the resurrection and the life. The scriptures attest to this. And we believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to say that again because I don't think you heard me. We believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not a myth, not a tale, not a legend, the truth. Do you believe this? Amen. This is John's gospel in chapter 20. And this is the account of the resurrection. John chapter 20, we'll read verses 1 through 7. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. And saw that stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. 
And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. I had this couple, these two friends, that helped me see this week something I've, I've, I've never seen. I've, I've read this account many times. I'm sure you have. Perhaps you've read the synoptics. You've read Matthew's account and Mark's account and Luke's account. Those different vantage points into the resurrection moment and the empty tomb. This is, this is what I saw. What I've come to see. In so many ways, it changed everything. Why is the stone rolled away? Why is the stone rolled away? If you continue reading in chapter 20, you're going to see that John describes an account in which Jesus appears to the disciples. He appears to them. Here's the unique thing about that moment. They're behind locked doors. They're hiding. They're fearing for their life. They're fearing persecution. But Jesus appears to them. How does this happen? We don't know. Does he, does he, does he somehow walk through the door, like literally through the door? Does he, does he teleport? Does he transport? How does this happen? I don't know, and you don't either. But the point that John is making is that the creator who is restoring creation can do anything. He can do all things. He can walk through this stone. So then why on earth is the stone rolled away? Here's what you read in all four gospel accounts of the resurrection. The disciples, those who love Jesus, his followers, they all go in. They all go in to the tomb. And they see that he's not there. The stone is not rolled away for Jesus to come out. The stone is rolled away so that we can go in. So that we can go in. And we can see and testify and know and believe that our Savior is risen. Jesus doesn't need the stone to be moved away to come out. He does it for us so that we can see that he is the resurrection and the life, so that we can see that this is not myth, this is not fairy tale, this is not legend, that this is true. And people have seen this. Do you believe this? This is Paul's writing to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15. He's going to tell them the thing that is most important. He's going to deliver to them the thing that's, that's paramount. It's above all things, and it's the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is the good news of this that Jesus died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was truly, actually buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then this happens. He appears to Cephas, who's Peter. Then he appears to the twelve. Then he appears to more than 500 at one time, most of whom he writes at this time are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then all of the apostles. And we know the story of the Damascus Road. Jesus appears to Paul. What's he saying in this moment? This is trustworthy. This is true. The evidence is real. Jesus has risen. 
So when we say he is risen indeed, we mean that he is really risen. And it's in that resurrection that you and I have life. Do you believe this? To close, a look at some of the last words in John's gospel in chapter 20. After this resurrection account, John does this incredible thing where he speaks of the purpose of who Jesus is, of what he's done. Listen to this, John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written, here's the purpose, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the purpose. This is the point. Of all the accounts, of all the testimony, of all the faithful witnesses, of all those who have come before us. You notice that John uses the exact same words that Martha uses. That Jesus is the Son of God. And that life comes from believing in him. So this is the challenge, this is the urge, this is the call, this is the prayer. Do you believe? Do you believe in the resurrection? Do you believe this? That Christ has risen. That because one died, all have died, as Paul would write in Romans. That we are justified by the blood of his cross that we are saved, there's newness of life in the resurrection. This morning, that is our call. So in these moments, as we respond and we sing in worship, a couple of things are going to happen here that are incredibly exciting. Um, number one, you'll have the opportunity to think on, to pray on, to meditate on. In this time of worship, you may want to sit, you may want to stand, you may want to sing, you may just want to read the words, you may just want to pray but I would urge you to contemplate in that moment, do you believe this? Do you believe in what Jesus has done? Because if you do, there is life there and it's abundant and it's free. And you may sit there this morning and say, well, I'm, I'm, I'd like to believe, I want to believe, I'm thinking about believing, or maybe, hey, okay, Michael, this isn't compelling enough. Tell me more. Tell me why I should believe. We invite that. We want that. Here in this moment, Brian Marbury, our pastor of service and missions, who you've heard from this morning already, is going to be here to welcome you, to, to pray with you during this time as we sing and worship. Um, and we'll do that, go ahead and do this now, but myself uh, and Clay Atkinson uh, are going to walk back here with a number of families because we have one family joining, the Thompson family, and four people being baptized in this water this morning. You're the 11 o'clock people. So by definition, you should be more awake than everyone else. <laughs> there are four people that are about to enter these waters, right? And you know what that reveals, what that shows, what that demonstrates? They're, they will be buried in the likeness of the Lord's death, and this incredible thing will happen. They'll be raised to walk in newness of life. Where does it come from? It comes from Jesus who is the resurrection, and the life. Amen? Let's take a moment and pray together. Heavenly Father,
Let us celebrate that you make all things new through your son Jesus. You make dead things come to life. You've made us come to life. Because truly, Jesus, you are the resurrection and the life. We've come to life and love and relationship with God, the Father, only through you, Jesus. So now in this moment, by the power of your Spirit, would you cause us, those of us who've, who've believed before, who've been drawn to you, would you cause us to believe again, to trust again, to rest again, to see that all of life is found in resurrection life. And Spirit, for those yet to know you, will you draw them to you? Pray all of these things in the resurrected name, Jesus Christ. Amen.